Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kel Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hi, Kevin. How's it going? It's We're just trying to figure out when we last podcasted, and it just feels like a long time, but there have been two games, and it just... This year feels so weird with like the stretch-out schedule. I can't even remember like two days ago, so this is a stretch here. We'll try our best, though. Yeah, weird little bump. I think we mentioned this uh, last episode, but they only played two games last week, but then they play, they're going to play four games by the time we next podcast, I believe. They went three weeks, basically. They have a three-week period where they don't play a back-to-back, so they just have at least a day off in between games. They had three days off before Sacramento. They had two days off before Cleveland, and then they had two days off again before New Orleans tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday afternoon uh we've got two games to discuss the loss at home to sacramento the win at home against the cleveland cavaliers they still got three games left on this five game homestand that i mentioned was a good opportunity for them to figure some things out and we were only three games in so we didn't want to overreact much And, and by overreact i think the better way for me to put it is have a stance at all to be honest like either way and i think that i have formulated a stance kevin which is that This team has work to do, and that is not to say that they are worse than last year's team, better than last year's team, not even in that kind of sense. It's just that they clearly, and shout out to you, by the way, I remember you mentioning three-point defense on here, like very, like to the side for like 30 seconds, and then that became kind of the story of their five-game sample size here, is that they are giving up way too many open threes, and teams are shooting well on them, obviously, and then they are not generating enough threes either and that's just one example of a couple of things we'll talk about which shows that they really are going to need another and this is what I wrote about after the Sacramento loss is this going to take a couple of games is it going to take a couple of weeks is it going to take a couple of months we don't really know what the what the tune is but in terms of our potential theory of continuity meaning they're going to blast off into space and win 15 of 17 to start the year or whatever that's not happening no and if you look at like how i'm sure this offseason was approached it was go like go look at books instagram was he in the gym every day i don't think so um not saying he didn't come back prepared or whatever but i i think the strategically were like you guys gotta rest especially that guy um chris paul go rest da like be in shape but go rest um so i think from the very individual level you can see like i think da and book have hit their stride more just in the past two games after ugly starts for both of them they they look like they just found their legs a little bit and i know they've been practicing heavier um and that oftentimes just like for young guys that probably helps a lot catch up um after the off season of lots of rest i think um chris paul probably still in that group i'm I don't want to like put any big judgments on him, but his shot has looked weird. He missed like what four free throws in a row the other day. So like, just little things where you don't want to put a lot into it right now. But 
either needs to get over in the next few weeks or it's a problem. So I think from the individual level, you wait for those things to kind of answer themselves, whether it's actually a concern or whether it's just getting a groove, getting back in a groove. Um, team concerns, I mean, the three-point thing, I said that before the Kings game and I was sitting with Tyler Drake, our resident Kings fan here at work. Buddy hit like one and he was just like, oh, Buddy might be feeling it soon. And then he hit, what, three or four more? <laughs> so it's just stuff like that where it's like, that's not a thing the Suns did last year, and I don't know the reasons, but it's more than just welcoming like Landry Shamit and JaVale McGee into this thing. It's a lot of the guys coming back. Just got to get things fixed up, I guess. So to start there, what I'm seeing is that they're collapsing too much defensively, mm-hmm. and I don't know why. Just don't know why. Uh, maybe it's a slight scheme thing that they changed from last year. Maybe it's harder to stay a step closer to shooters than they should normally. But just kind of inexcusable things. Like in the first couple of games, Monty was saying after the, I want to say the Portland game where it was strong side corner threes. Like we gave up three of those and that we no team does that, let alone us. So... To, to that end, I, I just think there's some things they got to shape up defensively. To your point, they have the third worst opposing three-point percentage at 40.0%. I, I think that the the number of those that are like wide-open attempts is more concerning and things like that. But the most concerning number to me is that they've only attempted 29 threes a game, which is tied for third worst in the NBA. And there are at least 16 teams in the league that are taking 35 attempts a game. Ooh. It's a weird thing happening right now where offense is down across the league, three-point percentage is down across the league, three-point attempts are up. So there's some balancing that needs to go back into order there in terms of those shots going in, teams taking a couple less a game, whatever exactly is uh, going on here that will correct itself, I'm sure, in the next 20 games. I don't think offense is going to go down. No. (laughs) It's just a weird five games we're, we're heading into here. And again, into something we're going to be talking about later in this episode with Jalen Smith, the 2020 NBA draft was less than a year ago, Kevin. It was the third week of November of 2020. So to think about how quickly we did two seasons. Yeah. The Suns are not the only team affected by this. Every single team in the league is going to be affected by it. And we are in unprecedented territory. There is no extended break that these guys were given for having these this back-to-back. Like Even next year, we could be talking about it. Because next year, again, it's going to be the same break and maybe that's when things will start to reset a little bit but I think we're just going to keep seeing weird things to open the year this year I'm not surprised by that at all just based on the layoff stuff um yeah the the DA and Chris thing is is a bit I I don't want to say I keep going back to strange just because it's it's easier for me to see from my perspective it seems easier from my perspective to just pick up right where you left off in terms of a rhythm thing and for Chris and DA, it just seems like, it, for lack of a better phrase, like exerting themselves. Like if DA just rolls hard every time, they're they're going to get results, and it just hasn't been there. If Chris more more so him than DA, honestly, is just more aggressive offensively, they're going to see a lot of results. And Chris was not aggressive to start the year last year either. I went back and looked, and he was mostly taking, I believe, like eleven shots a game, and he's a guy who only took like twelve and a half last year, so it wasn't that much of a bump. 
but he's even like lower right now. Uh, he's at like 10 or 11, or 10, I want to say, a game, something like that. And that's him pacing himself. He knows what he's doing. He knows better than anyone else how to pace himself. He did it last year, and look at that. He was top five in MVP voting. He was second-team All-NBA. He's going to be fine. Do not worry about him at all. But I do worry about how that affects the team's rhythm as a whole. And I think we saw it last year to a certain extent with them just feeling him out. And then I think we see it this year to where they are not going to get there. And I, the number one thing I keep hearing is is pace. And Cam Johnson, after the win on Saturday, when asked just like, what were you guys doing the best? He was like, pace, like we were we were going more. And then that that's a Chris Paul thing. If anyone no no one wants to say it, obviously, and point at it and, and turn it into like a because it's not Chris's fault. It's just that's the way that he plays. But they do play faster when he plays faster. It's just it's not Devin or anyone else deciding to slow down the game, you know. So that sort of push and pull that they're going with here that's come back from I mean the playoffs last year. Yeah, that was the thing in the playoffs was. He, I think it was what he mentioned. Willie Green said to him, "Like just push it more." And they the suddenly... shot clock. He was like, "I want to see the shot clock." I think at like eighteen or twenty or something. He's like, "You better cross half court." Yeah, within like four seconds, get into the offense, all that stuff. And I think there is a lot to that with Chris, but it's not just him because it's it's not necessarily the guys who have gotten paid and all that. But everyone after a year in which the team had success, I think naturally will come back with, okay, what have I done to help this team? Even in like unselfish terms, what have I done to help this team grow individually? And I think it was Max who maybe pointed out on Twitter, I think it was him, that you see a lot of people kind of going out of bounds as far as what they did last year and pushing the limits, which is like, yeah, great. I You want cam johnson to be taking a few step back mid rangers but do you want him to do that all the time do you want him to pass up decent looks at threes when he can get a shot off to drive to the rim i don't think so um mikhail even he's had a great run to start but you know that's that's changing the ecosystem of your offense if he's taking more shots attacking off the dribble more um campaign obviously didn't get a lot of playing time to like find his groove but now alfred payton comes in and he's driving into the lane a lot and taking floaters um whether they go in or not again isn't so much the point as this is just a lot of different pieces even though some of them are the same from last year so again just the other side of the ball where you're trying to find yourself you're trying to find the right balance of what you're doing and it has to kind of work like puzzle pieces in a way to go i I thought you were going to go with a different point that max made he tweeted a screenshot this morning who do you think are the suns is like best options offensively after the big three which is deandre mikkel and devin after them yeah i mean you would hope campaign right uh so campaign's out yeah (laughs) who would you go with after him Wait, we're not counting Chris? Either. Not counting Chris, Devin, or DeAndre? In theory, Shamit. He is dead last in usage percentage on this team. It is at 12.8. Ooh. And you could see in that Cleveland game, he was like, oh man, I got to start shooting. I'm not I saying gotta... I put a bet on how many points he would have, Kellen, <laughs> but it was at 6.5 and you thought... Ooh. 
you, you, you thought he'd reach it just by taking some shots, and he did take shots, and then he just was sitting in the corners all their second half. For those of you listening who are like Kevin, who may not have dabbled that much in over-under stuff before, but now that it's on the ease of their cell phone, they're looking into it more, you can yeah. see <laughs> the thought process clearly, which is hearing that Landry wants to be more aggressive, seeing that over-under and remembering the quote and being like, oh, Landry wants to be more aggressive. And then he is more aggressive. Guess what, Kev? The shots still may not go in, and they didn't go in, and you lost your bet. And anyway. then he just stopped getting looks completely. Even though you were completely right in your thought process with your money, it didn't go well. I'm just saying. There's a reason they're offering you a thousand free dollars to do this stuff. Okay, back to my point. Who else? Who after Landry? Um, I guess Cam Johnson. Fourth lowest usage percentage on the team mm. right now, and that's some three point looks. And then right after him are DeAndre and Mikel. Top five in usage percentage oh, no. on the team. Devin is at the top, obviously at thirty thirty one percent. I'll read the numbers from last year after this. Number two is campaign, which is like, that's fine. He's at 26%, which is way higher than last year, but that's a two-game sample size. We're talking about usage percentage over five games. Really small. This is, I think, where Max was making his point. Third, Alfred Payton at 23.6%, and fourth is JaVale McGee at 22%. The, the, The scales when those guys are in the game have been tipping a bit too much towards them and just... You want those guys to thrive in their role, and you want them to be aggressive to start the year, which is good. You also do not need them to be that much of a part of the offense when they're on the floor. I mean, Chris is all the way down, and I say all the way down at 19%, and you think like, oh, he's a guy in like the high 20s or whatever. He's never been that in his career. He's at 22.1%, and a lot of his on-ball stuff is creating for others. And to be clear, the guys that were top five in, on the team in usage percentage last year who were consistently in the rotation, Dario was third campaign was fourth and then deandre Ayton was fifth hmm. so and and someone like frank kaminsky who was in and out of there he was fifth if you count him abdul nader was fifth if you count him and then you get to cameron johnson and then all the way down there at the bottom of anyone who really played outside javon carter was was mikhail bridges so like those were two guys who you wanted to see kind of increase a little bit this year i think and we haven't despite what we've seen from like an aggressive Mikel, he's at 17.8% this year. Last year, he was at 14.7. So it is an increase. But if you were expecting me to sit here after five games and tell you who were the two guys who were in like the mid-20s, low to mid-20s of usage percentage who weren't last year, you would have said Mikel and Cam Johnson. You would have said maybe DeAndre Ayton, who wasn't last year either. It has not been those guys. (laughs) And that needs to change. That needs to change. So I just mean, look yeah. at look at field goal attempts and shot distribution the next couple of games. I think we should see that start to shift a bit more. Yeah, Alfred, Alfred's style, that's why I was surprised by that signing, to be honest. I don't know if we talked about it that much, but he he's more of on-ball dominant. Like It, it makes sense because it could mirror what Chris does, but also he's taking a lot of shots. He does not work with Landry. Yeah, it does not work uh, unless he's kicking it and, out to him. But. And what's interesting is like he he has to adjust his style, I think, more than anyone, and so that's where that's a problem. Um, Javale, I think it's almost like he's like Rondo hunting assists. Like that's what I've kind of like noticed about how he's searching instead of just move the ball, swing it to the other to the weak side. It's how am I gonna like get a cutter? How am I gonna find a shoot like? instead of just keeping the offense going so that's we'll see we did do an episode where we spent like 10 minutes being like not really a sun's guy and we're seeing it early on and he could certainly change his play style but so far we're seeing what you're saying which is looking for the assists 
which people are saying, like, okay, that means ball moving and passing. Why is that a bad thing? It's just not in the flow of the offense. Did Dario or Frank, like, they had a few nice assists here and there, but, like, so many more where it's just, like, you're keeping that thing churning and it it doesn't show up in the box score. Yeah. He's, like, stand there, run the action for five seconds, here comes the ball screen, okay, now I'm going to make the one pass. And that's not necessarily how they how they do things here, unless your name's Chris Paul, yeah, and, and that's it. Because we see, you think, oh, Devin Booker's the other guy. Well, not really, because we saw the play on Saturday where he drove and kick, and then the ball moved around, and then he finds it in the corner, and that's the Devin Booker pass, not not the eight seconds and then pick and roll and find the one guy in the weak side corner. No. Playing weak side defense against, I'd mentioned this, uh, I think, like in the opener to someone, like playing weak side defense on Chris Paul is on the floor must really suck, because <laughs> you just know that he's only looking at you. The whole time, even if he never makes eye contact with you or even looks your way, he is looking at you the whole time, paying attention to exactly where you are. Must suck. Any other impressions here? Five games in, I think that I my most encouraging thing I will say from these five games so far, I think the Lakers thing was just them hitting a gear at the perfect time where the Lakers were not imploding necessarily, but got into some weird stuff on the bench and then came out in the second half and the first play of the game of the first of the second half is LeBron James standing there as Mikel Bridges runs past him for an open dunk <laughs> on a cut, on a back cut. Um, but I really liked in Cle- in the Cleveland game how DeAndre specifically was their catalyst defensively for stopping the points on the paint. Cleveland had 18 after the first quarter, and then it was him and JaVale were just there consistently. And Cleveland just once Phoenix like really got their defense going, Cleveland just didn't realize how to adjust and keep throwing the passes that were were there in the first quarter but weren't anymore those i mean just looking at cleveland's other games like their bigs have been pretty good like yeah mobley is pro like probably rookie of the year through this very very small sample size i mean he's been putting out numbers don't do chalamet like that man come on <laughs> i'm kidding uh um, i like josh kitty though yeah he's doing well too um Jared Allen's been playing really well, putting up numbers. Laurie, as a small forward, has somehow been playing decently. But the like, defense is kind of not bad. Yeah, I that's a fun team, and yeah. I think that was just why like that was a good win and says they're making progress, just getting things right. Because, I mean, just how they played that front court, I think said a lot about okay, Da's. I, I feel better after watching that from him, and he was good in the sack game too. Lots of other things in the sack game weren't right, but yeah, I, I I think I think they're fine. Like I'm not losing any sleep over like the Suns are in big trouble or anything. Just don't lose these next two. No, uh, they've got the Pelicans on Tuesday. No Zion and Brandon Ingram did not play on Saturday. Willie Green, shout out to Willie Green, head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans now. Uh, said that Ingram's still day-to-day, so it sounds like Ingram could not play tomorrow either. So you can't lose that. And then Houston on Thursday, self-explanatory. They're one of the worst teams in the league. You're at home. You got a day off. And then that's a fun little ramp up to a very, we mentioned this last week, really looking forward to that Atlanta game on Saturday. Ooh, Spider-Man yeah. meme. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's talk Jalen. Yeah. The Suns declined their third year team option on Jalen Smith's contract we mentioned this at the tail end of last podcast as something or two podcasts ago I can't remember if it was last podcast or two podcasts ago something is a possibility keep an eye out for it we did we know they're gonna take 5.8 million for Cam Johnson easily like that's that's a no-brainer 
4.6 million on Jalen Smith, though. You can lean back and forth. And where do you want to start with this? Because there is the angle that we talked about a lot with DA's extension where you are handcuffed to a certain extent to the players you have now. Sort of. You get what I'm saying? That whole that whole discussion, I'll get into more of what that means when we get there. Yeah. Or do you just want to talk about Jalen in general? I think we can talk about the handcuffing. Okay. It's investing. So, I, I see it as investing. Yeah. Is that what you're going with? Sort of. The, okay. the main thought here is, do you believe that one, the main thought on this little branch of it, and there's several branches here, so we're going we're gonna to get there. Do you believe that $4.6 next year and $5.9 million the year after that is worth the price for his development where you see it? And I see a lot of discussion going on Twitter this morning about how they handled his development and all that kind of stuff. And, like, we haven't seen enough. It's like, well, they've clearly seen enough. They've yeah. been the ones seeing him way more than we have. We've barely seen him. Two, do you just believe in general that you would rather have a guy on the veterans minimum than him on on the roster spot? So that's where I go, like, to handcuffing again. It's like you aren't going to get chances at developmental guys that often now. For the next couple of years, you're not going to get the chance – at signing someone, you're going to have like the mid-level and things like that to use and like the taxpayers, MLE, things like that, but a chance at a guy who could still develop into something theoretically. And like, let's say they obviously don't believe he has a chance to develop into that now, but I think that's part of like the thought process here, right? Is that you're value, you're valuing the value and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And there's clearly it favors one way here. I mean... Before we get into the levels, I think those amounts of money, four, seven, and what, five, six, you said. Um, yeah. It, obviously, that's too much for a guy who's not playing very much. He got nine minutes the other night, played well. If he's your backup, if he's your third, even fourth big, and he's going to play somewhat regularly, like say he plays as much as Frank did last year, then that's good value as far as we're just looking at pure value of what you get out of a player. But if he's not oh, going to play... Oh, you're saying if he was as good as Frank for that yeah, money. Yeah, if he played as much as Frank. then And was as good as Frank, because he's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's make sure that's in there. Okay, yeah. Because he'd, be, yeah, he'd be helping the team to that degree. Yeah, you would assume... You're saying from a developmental perspective. If he's and, as good as Frank next year, correct. Okay, so go ahead. So what that... As it stands, he is not worth that money because he has not proven that he can be a somewhat reliable third, fourth, big. And this money, sorry to cut you off, but I no, forgot the third point of my point of my point. This is money. You're going to be in the luxury tax next year, almost assuredly. So this is not like you're saving like a little bit of wiggle room on the salary cap or whatever. Like this just comes down to tax money, essentially. And it's 1.5. I don't know. But the, it depends but the, where they're at in the tax. It, it doesn't come down to just tax money because, again, it's that one roster spot, veterans min guy. Mm-hmm. So it's not just tax money, to be clear. And again, if you don't think he's going to develop, then don't spend that money, obviously. Like, I'm not saying but, they should. Here's the but. Here's the but. Go ahead. That's a top 10 pick. You tanked his draft stock, sending him to the G League. I know it was a weird COVID year. Okay. It was a reach. Send him to the G League, tank to stock. Apparently, if they... Trade stock. Trade stock. Right. Apparently, they've been looking for a trade. So maybe right now, they've just decided that you can't get any trades 
out of him, that's fine. You know, spoiler alert, Kevin. What they can't get any trades for him, right? But they just declined his third year option. They can't get trades for him. I think that's the writing on the wall right there. Yes. You're sitting here talking about why aren't they getting Thaddeus Young for Jalen Smith and Dario Sarch and a future first round pick right now? Either they don't want to go with that future first round pick, or the Spurs don't want Dario or uh, not Dario, Jalen. Yeah. Okay, that's fine, and it's a sunk cost, if you will. But right. I think the whole issue that you can't say they screwed it up because they drafted him 10th in a draft where I went and counted generously 20 of those players are in rotations and they're pretty good players and even more than that probably will be good players in that draft so that's a lot of guys taken after him again a lottery pick where you're you're you know you're a pretty good team already at that point and they went after a kid who was what 20 at the time He's only 21 now, so you knew that you had to develop this guy and pick the right kind of guy who could develop. So regardless of what you thought he was then, you committed yourself to a young kid to help a team you knew was going to be pretty good, and you screwed it up. So I I just can't get over that part because you can't just give them a pass for that, especially when it's this team's pretty good last high draft pick that we're going to get probably for a while um you don't even get three years out of him now they could re-sign him and get him for less money if like the market's just that bad and you you end up paying him maybe a minimum or whatever to keep him around but it it doesn't look good and i know people are always like well they hit on cam johnson well they didn't hit on this guy they didn't hit um, on that other first round pick so it's I don't know it's puts red flags to the draft evaluation process which I know doesn't matter as much now but when you pay all these other guys that they're gonna pay and probably gonna pay eight and whatever then you you need things like this to work out where those turn into rotation players yeah, so they've had Jalen Cam Johnson uh, and then DeAndre and Mikel the year before that. So the the place I'll start on on well, that's a different front office. But, exactly, yeah. that's just like the last three drafts they've had. The one point I want to make on Jalen to start with what you were saying. This was the draft was three out. It's really tough to look back on days and stuff. Three days after they traded for Chris Paul, so they had. They did, to your point, they did have a good idea that they were going to be pretty darn good. You could have made an argument like, oh, they were 33 wins. Who knows like where they're going? Do they need to develop a bit more? This was after the Chris Paul trade. That was the not all-in trade, but the we are trying to win a whole lot of games right now. We are not rebuilding, developing guys, whatever we're, we're going. I forgot to mention they developing guys in the rotation. Forward. And he's a center. Anyway, continue. That's where we get to Jalen. Um Where to start? Where to start? I think the place to start is that draft night. This was once again considered the one of the surprises of the draft. Smith was the guy that was looked at as a late first round pick, mid to late first round pick. This was about 10 spots too high, it felt like, in terms of where he was going to go. There were 
four or five guys in okay there was one guy who slipped Halliburton oops there were three or four guys who were like in five or six guys who were like in the range of that spot where they were at 10 and and they did not choose to take them there was Devin Vassell who is doing things on the Spurs he looks like he's going to be at least like you were saying to your point like he's a rotation player now he could be good Kyra Lewis, we need to wait and see. Aaron Nesmith, we need to wait and see. In the rotation now, isn't he? He's in and out, Okay, is, is what I saw. I, won't count I, I was kind of looking through these guys this morning. Sadiq Bey, oops. Oops. Tyrese Maxey, oops. I see a Stewart. I don't, I don't know if he was like necessarily in there, but Cole Anthony was, was a guy we talked about a lot, oops. Yeah. That's where we have to start. So, let me just, again, let me just read the guys that went after 10. Devin Vassell, Tyrese Halliburton, Kyra Lewis, Aaron Nesmith, Cole Anthony, Isaiah Stewart, Pokusevsky, Josh Green, Sadiq Bey, Precious Achua, Tyrese Maxey. Peyton Pritchard at the back end. Desmond we Bain can, at the back end. We can, we can start cherry-picking those guys. We did talk about Desmond Bain, but the point is... When we look back on this draft, you do not you do not want to be the team that took like one of the two or three guys who didn't pan out out of a group of like ten or eleven guys. And and to further emphasize that point, the twenty eighteen draft, Kevin, number ten, Mikel Bridges, number eleven, Shea Gildas Alexander, number twelve, Miles Bridges, number fourteen, Michael Porter Jr. Do you remember who went number thirteen? No. Jerome Robinson oh, yeah. to the Los Angeles Clippers. Not that severe. It is not that severe, but when a general group of guys works out, I mean, if you go three picks back, Denny Abdia, wait and see. Obi Toppin looks like he's a rotation player. Killian Hayes, wait and see. Eh. But but trending downward, certainly, Kevin, with that eh. Yeah. And then, and then Jalen at 10. So that's where we have to start. I ranked Tyrese Halliburton second on a Sun-centric board. Thought he was perfect. Thought he was exactly what they were looking for. There were reports after the draft from... I remember we saw the reports. It might have been Jake Fisher, but it wasn't like Woj, Shams, or Mark Stein or someone like that. Where it was something about his medical reports weren't really getting around to certain teams or something like that. And he was coming off of a hand thing? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Regardless, I I really I I don't see a world where that scares you. And, and again, I don't know front office stuff, so I'm not going to sit here and say like, should not you hand. just be should you just be scared off by medical reports like that, where it's just a season-ending injury that seems fairly normal to recover from? It, it's really tough, Kevin. That's the point I'm getting at here. It's really tough when you look at the rest of that group. Now you can sit here and say the Suns are great. They've got campaign, top five, backup point guard. That's great. You could have had your point guard for the next decade, Tyrese <laughs> Alberton, after Chris Paul's gone. Like it's that's tough. You could have had Desmond Bain or Vassell or It's funny because you look at this and if we're saying that they're trying to save money and if you had Tyrese Halliburton at making 4.7 million next year at that draft slot like you don't maybe have to pay Landry Shamit. I know it's a completely different guy, but 
you save money elsewhere if you have a rotation player there. That was the conversation, yeah, we had around... And I know that's backwards thinking, because, like, the reality is they're trying to save money now, but if you draft well, you save money. <laughs> Similar conversation we had for the 2021 pick, where I was like, if you hit on that, yeah, like the Grizzlies hit on Desmond Bain, they've got one of the better backup wings in the league, who is, I believe, starting for them right now anyway, but one of the best young first-year, second-year wings in the league, and he's making $2 million for the next three years, which is pretty great. They screwed this up pretty bad. And to your points and to something that we talked about in the offseason, what I was wondering is, like, do they just punt on this idea of him being a four and just try and turn him into a five? I don't know if they're... I'm sure... I don't want to say like that. I am sure they had like that type of talk and that type of thought process in terms of what to do with his development and so on. But again, if you're not completely familiar, this is a, this is a player who hasn't played much and we haven't seen him much and he hasn't been talked about much. So this kind of stuff goes goes by some people sometimes in terms of it not being in the storylines that we normally talk about. The Suns drafted Jalen Smith to be a four. They tried to develop his handle. They tried to develop a lot of things and kind of turn him into like, I don't know, the next Pascal Siakam, whatever the thinking is there. Necessarily, he was a guy who you and I liked as a five in this in this kind of draft. But again, on draft night, I listened back to it. You and I were both saying he needs to play some four because you just used him as a lottery pick and you can't take a guy who's going to play 12 minutes a game behind DeAndre Ayton as, as a top 10 pick. Even if you do, I, I think it... Uh, DeAndre is important to bring up in this conversation because about development. What does DeAndre want to be? What does DeAndre say every offseason? I want to add some three-point shooting. I played four in college. I can defend perimeter players. Not saying he's ever going to play four because there's just no point in not having that guy in the paint. But what did they do to DeAndre, who has this mindset? They made him do basics. They made him roll. They took away the mid-range at some point last season and just said, get your easy buckets, you're going to sacrifice. Um, they developed good habits, and then he took them to the NBA Finals by doing the basics of big man stuff. Now, like they, I, I'm bringing that up because I think they've developed him well, and it just doesn't make sense you take a guy like Jalen Smith, who, again, we... Like, sure, he has a three-point shot, but aside from that, what skills did we see on tape that was like, oh, yeah, he's different than DeAndre. He can do more. We can put more on him and ask him to be a four. Same I, same reason why we were kind of gun-shy on Maxi, right? You and I liked Maxi as a prospect, but we were like, ah, there's like there's some point guard stuff he needs to figure out, and it just doesn't make sense for them to take but a But it's easy guy. with bigs. You just say, let's develop this guy as a five, a point. and if he adds something where it's like proving to us, like if... Look Look at Bam. If you go and ask Bam, like, go play defense, get rebounds, get easy buckets, and then he flashes the little things and suddenly it's like, oh, God, we can run our offense through this guy or, like, have him handle the ball a little bit. That's when you can just open things up. But they kind of went backwards and gave him all the things, and now he's trying to be a four and shooting not well and taking all these threes and not just getting easy buckets and killing it on the glass. So I, I don't understand that development difference between him and DA, even even if you see him as a four initially. To wrap on that, it's puzzling yeah. all the way around. Every yeah. single aspect of it is 
puzzling. It's yeah, it's the decision to draft him. Okay, well, you're going to have to develop him and he'll have time because you don't necessarily need him. But then you don't pay a 21-year-old who you drafted that early because he hasn't shown enough because he's been buried on a deep team. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily wrong, but I'm just saying they've changed their minds a bunch. I think you ultimately decline it anyway, but you should. You look at this as a three, four, five-year investment. So what you saw, again, in less than a calendar year has to be rather indicative that you believe that he is not going to be an NBA player. Yeah. Because, again, you're, you're paying the money anyway. So What? Didn't Dragon Bender even made his third year, right? Was that marked up as? I don't remember, man. It's, but like it takes a lot not to pick up the third, the first option on a rookie deal. He didn't even make it past his first one. And I, again, like I, Bender out his third year. Yeah. So did Chris. I, I'm not certain that, he, like Jalen Smith's going to pan out, but I know I haven't seen him as much as the Suns. But that's saying a lot that he didn't even make it to third year. I don't even know the last lottery pick who hasn't done that. There might be an easy answer and someone knows. Please shout it out on the tweets. Shout it out on the tweets. Uh, Jerome Robinson. Keese was in that trade, man. I, I keep forgetting that they traded him. The Ryan Anderson trade. Who could forget? <laughs> the D'Anthony Melton trade, as it's known. I'm sorry. I apologize. Yes, that's why I was confused. Yeah. Anyway. It's not great, but... Anyway, they'll probably pick up Cam Johnson, right? I think Jake Fisher said they did. I haven't seen anyone else. If you give me two drafts and you get the Cam Johnson pick and the Jalen Smith pick, that's a pretty good two drafts in my opinion. Yeah. Even, even I know, even with Halliburton and all these guys on the board, I still think getting Cam Johnson out of two, one out of two, is is a good result at the end of the day. Ty Jerome didn't. I guess that was a trade, but... That was the other first round pick. Yeah, you brought up the other first round pick. That was the other one. I missed that one. Eh... Still trying to do stuff on OKC. Hang in there, Ty. Anyway, did they, I did they pick him up? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to come back here and podcast if they don't pick up Ken Johnson's option for the third year, fourth year. They will. Yeah, they will. What are you talking about? I'm just saying we'd have to podcast again. <laughs> we'd have to redo this whole thing if we learn. Oh, if they didn't? Oh, because that will. hasn't... Yeah, they will. Sorry to confuse you, but... Yeah, that that really threw me off. Sorry. Did you listen to the Haralabob thing with the, the the Mavericks draft? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, man. It's fun. I need to do that. He was basically, like, in charge of their draft because their GM, who's no longer there, went rogue and just wasn't in the draft room, apparently, according to Haralabob. It's, it's Wait, crazy. so it was, like, involuntary, like, I guess I'm the guy in charge? It was very quickly run over and, like... <laughs> Pablo Torre had a lot to go over with him, so I get quickly getting through things, but it was essentially Haralabob, like Donnie Nelson wasn't really around the day of the draft, or like wasn't in the room when they were up to pick or something like that, and then they picked Josh Green right before Sadiq Bay. I like Josh Green still, though. We'll but see. But still, yeah. I know. He ain't winning Eastern Conference Rookie of the no, Month. He's not. he's not doing that. Let's give one shout out before we go. If you are not on Twitter... At least create a Twitter account to join Sun's Twitter and vote on Cody Hunt's bracket. It's really cool. Cody Hunt went out, and if you just search Cody Hunt, it's like CO underscore Hunt, I want to say off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly, but you'll find it. I retweeted it. Um, I hope you guys know where to find mine. Mine's just Kellen Olsen. Type me in. You'll find me. 
Not many Kellen Olsons. A lot more Cody Hunts, I imagine. He made a 64-player uh, favorite Suns role player of all time. Is that how he called it? Yeah. Whatever he phrased it. So your P.J. Tuckers and Jared Dudleys of the world. Also your Pat Burks and Jake Sokolides of the world. They're all out there. Um, my personal pick, and I'll say this late in the podcast because not many people are listening at this point. I won't move the voting voting too much by endorsing Wesley Person as oh. one of my all-time favorites and Rex Chapman, which has been brought up on here. I think like little Cal just loves shooters because I loved Wesley Person. I loved Rex Chapman. What was Eddie House's matchup? That was a tough Tim eight, Thomas nine. eight nine brutal. I got to vote for Tim Eddie. Tim Thomas former, was hardly on. Yeah, that's true. My former podcast cohort, but <laughs> Tim Thomas hit like one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite Suns moments of all time, the shot against LA. So Tim Thomas was so fun as a son. Oh, I ruled. Quinn Richardson, really dangerous oh, seven yeah. seed, but his two seed is PJ, who's going to, who might win the whole thing. That's because of recency bias. Yes. I guess he was on the team a lot longer. Like guys like Neil Walker are going to have uh, Gar Hurd might have issues as a three seed <laughs> as as much as um, the 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 bracket was really well thought out and uh, it's going to be voted on throughout like the next week or whatever. I'm sure we'll talk about it when we come back next time, see what the results are. But fun little thing happening on Suns Twitter. So again, I, I understand toxic place, but fun things happen on there from time to time. Not and if you're in your own little bubble. Just stay in your own little bubble <laughs> like me and Kevin are, and you'll be okay. We'll help you along the way. I don't have anything to rhyme after that. I tried. We'll be back next week to talk about more basketball. We did it, Kevin, a whole podcast just about basketball, sort of, until the last 20 minutes, but maybe next time. See you, everyone.